You're listening to the North Canton Chapel Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Well, have you ever felt overwhelmed by the constant rush or noise of our culture? I'm sure you have. I don't have to tell you this, but we live in a fast-paced, technology-driven world that bombards us daily with distractions, with obligations, with endless desires, constantly vying for our attention and for our affections. You see, you know this and you have experienced this. Many of us have social media. We have these things in our pockets or ladies in your purses, smartphones with the notifications. Maybe for you it's the pressures of work or your career, the demands of family, see appointments, just the busyness of life. We are overcommitted as a people. We are busier than we've ever been. With that, it's easy to lose sight of what truly matters in our day, which is our relationship with Jesus in bringing all of our lives under his authority. You see, there's a song that I reflect back on often. Uh, it's now 22 years old by a band named Rascal Flats. Many of you know Rascal Flats, And in the, in the chorus, it says, I miss Mayberry, sitting on the porch drinking ice-cold cherry Coke, where everything is black and white. And maybe that's you. I miss Mayberry. And to me, 22 years ago when that song came out, man, they were longing for a day, Mayberry referring to, right, the Andy Griffith show, Andy and Opie, and I'm just sorry to tell you, but those days are not here anymore. Those days are long gone. But what if we could pause everything in this rat race of life? We could eliminate the hurry, the distractions, the constant pull or the tensions that we feel every day. You see, I believe we can. The goal of this series called Ancient Rhythms, we've been honing in on these spiritual disciplines that have marked the Christian faith since the beginning of the church. They are a means to recapture the grace that God has gifted to us so that we might pursue him, so that we would know him, that we would continue to grow in him, and that we would reorient our priorities around those things. This is a six-week series. We're in week three. The first week was about Bible study, and last week was about prayer. This week is about fasting. So this morning, I get the privilege to speak to you on fasting. What is fasting? Many of us know what fasting is, but fasting is commonly known as voluntarily not eating food for a temporary time for a spiritual or health purpose. You see, did you know that there are actual benefits to fasting? Um, I'm not a doctor, but I'm married to a nurse, and according to Healthline.com, the number one benefit of fasting is obvious. It is weight loss. Many people fast for weight loss. An obvious caloric deficit, it boosts your metabolism. But another benefit, it lowers your blood sugar levels. It reduces inflammation. It is good for your digestive health or your gut reset. Uh, It improves overall heart health and it improves your brain function, your emotional and your mental clarity. So fasting, we all should wanna do it, right? 
But it's not a new thing. It's been practiced throughout time and history and in many other world religions as well. As well. It's not exclusively a Christian discipline. It seems pretty basic when you think about it, uh, but we were all designed to fast. And in fact, we participate in fasts every day. Like I'm a very simple thinker and a very simple-minded person. But when you woke up this morning, many of you who ate food, you broke your fast. Break fast, right? Sleep every night is God's embedded way of dependence and a reminder of our mortality. That we need something outside of us to reset and recover and re-energize our lives. The very fact that God has designed us to rest to stop, to recharge, to have cravings for food is is the fact that we are designed for something to sustain us outside of our control, that we can't self-sustain. We are dependent creatures. And we all know this, but when you think about it, there are limits to our dependence. You can't go very long without sleep. On average, what I've found is the average person can go probably like a day or two without sleep. But... 11 days before serious health consequences is the maximum number of days you can go without sleep. Don't know if you knew that. How about food? The human body can can actually go and and, and help repair itself, and and we are created to be able to sustain ourselves for a a little bit of time without food, but you can survive for roughly three to four weeks without food, up to 40 days without food. However, without water, you can't survive very long. What I found, three to five days without water. So maybe you were here last week and the week before, we talked about Bible study and prayer, and you were genuinely interested, and you're like, all right, I got this, new year, I'm going to get after it, I'm going to grow in Jesus this year, and then this morning we're talking about fasting, and you're here and you're like, ah, I don't know. But before you tune me out, I want to encourage you. Probably three-fourths of this room has probably never fasted for spiritual discipline, for a purpose of hungering after God. You may have missed a meal, you may have tried it before, but you've never done it for the purpose of hungering after God. I want to propose to you today that just as our bodies need regular breaks and rest and provision to function optimally, our hearts also need moments of pause and reflection. You see, fasting allows us to intentionally step back from the noise and busyness of our world to detach from worldly distractions and start to create space to recognize the provider, the provision, and the goodness of God. Ultimately, when we fast, we hunger for God. But why don't we like to do it? Well, I thought of a handful of excuses that many of us have, and some of these are personal for me. So I'm going to give us five excuses today that we make before we get into uh, our text of uh, of seeing different types of fast. But what are some excuses that we make on why we don't like to fast? Number one, I just love food too much. Maybe you're with me. You're like, I don't don't know. Why am I going to give up food? I just love it. It's just good. Um, and, And the thought of feeling uncomfortable or hungry, some of you equate starving and fasting together, and you're like, no, those are synonymous with each other. I'm not, I'm not doing that. But some of us, we get hangry if we don't have food. Hangry, I said hangry. You know what I'm talking about. My wife will be here in the second service, and a few of my kiddos and myself, man, you can tell if we miss a meal. Like, 
that blood sugar drops and you just, you're not yourself. And to us and many of you in here, the, 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 the seemed or perceived benefit doesn't seem to outweigh the cost of not eating. Maybe that's you. You just love food too much. Another excuse we make is we're just not sure what the Bible really says about it. I mean, because let's be honest, did Jesus ever command us to fast? Some people believe that it's really not essential for their spiritual growth or their relationship with God. You don't really fully grasp what God was trying to tell us through all of the passages of scripture of fasting and prayer and then what Jesus modeled for us. It just seems so ambitious of like, I just, I really don't know what the Bible says about it. Or maybe it just seems outdated or archaic and you're like, you know what? That's really for the super Christians, for the religious elite and I'm just, I'm just not there. That's another excuse that we make. How about this one? I can't because I have health concerns. And I would say that this is a genuine or legitimate excuse. And I'm with you, I understand. I have to take medication every day for certain things and I just, I understand. There are, medication and food go hand in hand. I would, I would encourage you to check with your doctor on that because the health benefits um, and the type of fasting that you could participate in um, might, might be a benefit to you. Or you can consider fasting from other things rather than food. Another excuse we make, it's just hard and I'm not disciplined enough. And if that's you this morning, I just wanna commend you for being honest. Like it really is hard. That's why they're called spiritual disciplines, to be disciplined in this. Fasting is hard because it's countercultural. It goes against the grain of everything the world, uh, that the world promotes to us. You see, we tend to be over consumers. We're indulgent of all the pleasures of this world And what fasting insists upon is less, sacrifice, willful detachment, and self-control. But what I would say is we make time for the things that we love, don't we? So if we're not disciplined enough, it really comes down to checking our heart and understanding what do we love. You see, we we prioritize our commitments and our responsibilities over setting aside dedicated time for Jesus. Fasting requires discipline. And maybe the last excuse uh, that I thought of this week is, I'm afraid it will expose things in me that I don't want to give up yet. You see, sometimes we resist fasting because it requires us to give up certain comforts or pleasures or desires. And what it does is it challenges our dependence for those comforts and causes us to reorient our hearts and our minds towards something better. You see, we have a generous God who gives us good gifts, and we are supposed to find temporary pleasure in those things of the world, but far too many of us find our ultimate satisfaction and our comfort in the things of this world, in the created things rather than the creator. I love how Pastor Matt Chandler says it on fasting. He says, fasting is setting aside a good gift from God, the joy of it, the taste of it, and saying there there is a greater pleasure to be known a greater joy to be had. There's a provision available to me as a son or a daughter of God that I want to lean into in this specific season. It's a space where we use the time to pray, to consider, to read the Bible more deeply, to orient our heart around the betterness of Jesus above and over all earthly pleasures. I just love that. I feel like it captures everything that we wanna go after this morning. So fasting as a spiritual discipline really is a detox for our hearts 
so that we have deeper dependence in, on Jesus in all of life. So fasting is this, temporary abstinence to create deeper dependence and a renewed hunger for Jesus. Temporary abstinence to create deeper dependence and a renewed hunger for Jesus. You see, as we walk through these things this morning regarding fasting, I believe it has less to do with what we give up for God and more to do with what God has given up for us. See, the Bible doesn't clearly give out specific rules or functions or commands about how to fast. Throughout the Bible, we see numerous examples of people and groups of people um, and what they do when they desire to know God more, they engage in fasting. And sometimes it's inconsistent with each other. Slightly different purposes. All throughout scripture, we see different purposes for fasting. Fasting for repentance and forgiveness. Fasting to seek God's guidance or his presence. To mourn or to grieve over something. The preparation or prayerfully seeking answers to an important, uh, important decision in your life. And lastly, we see fasting for, for a spiritual discipline or worship and gratitude of, of, of just running after God. But often in Scripture, these tend to be more descriptive than prescriptive. So there's no single correct way to fast. So the possibilities are endless, right? So here's where we're going to go this morning. In the next few moments, um, I, I want to look at four different types of fast that I believe that we see in Scripture and ultimately what we can learn from those things to help us build a better framework and understanding for fasting as a spiritual discipline for our own lives. The first one we see is a religious fast, a religious fast. And this is one of the few required fasts that we see throughout scripture. See, Israel fasted on the day of atonement and we see them fasting on other annual fasts. We see this in Leviticus chapter 16 and Leviticus 23. And it says this, and it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the 10th day of the month, that you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall, you, shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you, and you shall be clean before the Lord for all of your sins. You see, if you go back and read Leviticus 16, uh, you, you understand, you remember the story. Um, Aaron, the high priest, played a central role in the, in the rituals of that day. The sacrifices and the offerings that were brought to the temple, which served as the central place of worship. There was also a blood sacrifice that was brought to the temple once a year to atone and to pay for the sins of the people. And see, this day of atonement was seen as a time of spiritual renewal and restoration and repentance. Once a year, this day of repentance and restoration and even today, it remains a central holiday in Judaism called Yom Kippur. So Yom Kippur happens in the fall, and because our calendar is not the same as the Jewish calendar, sometimes the dates of when that falls is a little bit different every year. But this year in 2024, it's going to be on October 11th. We also see four other annual fasts observed by the, the Israelites, the Jewish people. Zechariah 8 calls this out. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month and the fast of the fifth and the fast of the seventh and the fast of the tenth shall be of the house of Judah, seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feast. Therefore love, uh, therefore love truth and peace. 
You see, these religious fasts were corporate fasts. They were done by a group of people. We, we see it in other places throughout Scripture, but Joel, the prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2, declares a fast to seek God's mercy and deliverance. The entire nation of Israel participated in this fast. And these types of fasts are also carried out today, these required religious ritualistic fasts. Probably many of us in this room will not participate in fasts like this because you're not Jewish, right? So religious fasts, number one. The second type of fast we see is a partial fast, a partial fast. And this is a fast that is a limited diet restricting certain types of food or drink. Um, And we see this practiced by Daniel in Daniel chapter one, uh, where he only ate vegetables and drank water. Um, See, Daniel's request to the chief of the eunuchs was that he's like, you know, there's certain Jewish dietary laws that that we, me and my friends, are, are, are not willing to eat the king's food. And he, he makes a petition to the, the chief of the eunuchs saying, hey, let us eat vegetables and water for 10 days. And we'll prove to you that after the end of this 10 days, this partial fast, that we are going to be better off than eating of the king's food. We see this in Daniel chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. It says, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables and eat water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in the flesh than all of the youths who ate the king's food. So these partial fasts were pretty flexible. And I would say to you this morning that these are the easiest types of fasts for us to try to incorporate into our spiritual disciplines. Partial fasts. Maybe for you or for me, it starts with modifying our eating schedule. Uh, Giving up a certain type of food or beverage. Um, Up until the first of the year, right after my birthday, I, I like to drink diet pop. I'll make a confession to you. But I've been trying really hard after the first of the year. Like, you know what? I don't need that Coke Zero. I don't need that diet Coke giving up certain things. So these partial fasts, maybe start with one meal one day a week and spend it in prayer and devotion to Jesus. Or maybe for you it's abstaining from certain activities or comforts. See, it's all about removing a comfort or pleasure of our life for deeper dependence on Jesus. The next type of fast I believe that we see in Scripture is called a normal fast. And this fast involves abstaining from all types of food, but not water. You could have water during this type of fast. It's probably the most common type of fast we see throughout Scripture. And a normal fast can be anywhere from one day to seven days to 21 days to even 40-day fasts. This is probably one of the most common fasts that we see when people say that they're participating in an extended fast. It's a normal fast. These fasts were undertaken by, uh, for various reasons, for people seeking spiritual guidance or growth or, or spiritual breakthrough. We're, we see this in Ezra chapter 8. Ezra was on this journey from Babylon to Jerusalem with a large group of exiles. But instead of requesting military protection from the king, it says that Ezra proclaimed a fast for the purpose of God's protection and provision. See, he chose to trust in God's provision rather than in man's. We see this also throughout the Old Testament in David. 
David and his men mourned the death of Saul and Jonathan in 2 Samuel chapter 1. They fasted until evening. We also see this after David committed adultery with Bathsheba. The prophet Nathan confronts him and he fasted and prayed, seeking forgiveness and restoration. Psalm 69.10, we see that. Also after David's affair with Bathsheba, um, if you remember the story, there was the death of the, the, the child um, and David pleaded with God in doing so, mourning, crying out to God for healing and for repentance. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, we see fasting, normal fasting all throughout the New Testament. Early Christians, Paul and Barnabas, before they're sent out on missionary journeys, God prepared them, consecrated their hearts in anticipation for what he would call them to do. You see, all of these different types of fast had different purposes um, for what God was calling them to. The next fast we see is an absolute fast. And this fast is a complete fast where people abstain from both food and water uh, for an extended period of time. And this is the hardest type of fast. And I would say that this is the don't try this at home fast. This is an absolute fast of food and water. And like I said, we need water and food to survive. Uh, But there were times throughout scripture that this was necessary. I think of Esther and the Jewish people in Esther chapter four. Uh, The seriousness and the dependence of, of, uh, of what they needed to focus on um, in that moment. If you remember this story, uh, the Jewish people had faced uh, a threat of being killed uh, by Haman. And if you remember Esther's cousin Mordecai urged her to approach the king and ask for help, but going before the king was, was really putting her life in danger and in jeopardy. So what did she do? She called the people of Israel together for a fast for three days with no food and no water to seek God's provision and to seek God's help. By doing so, Esther fasted, uh, and, and this role you know, played a big part in, in, in God changing the heart or allowing uh, the king to have favor on her by, uh, by their fast of seeking God earnestly in this time of need. Again, this absolute fast, this don't try this at home fast, these examples of extended fasts, we see 40-day fast that were absolute fasts. We see Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. We see this in Exodus 34, 28, where he was at Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments. He was in the very presence of God, but it was God's presence that sustained him through this fast. It says, so he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. We see this in Elijah. After he confronts the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel, uh, God shows up by consuming the fire, right? He, he escapes and flees Queen Jezebel. And during this time, the angel of the Lord shows up and gives him food that would sustain him for the next 40 days. First Kings 19, verse 8, and it says, and then he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God, which was the very same mountain that Moses had this fast. You see, during this time, Elijah didn't eat any food or drink any water, but he relied solely on God. And these absolute fasts were, were times where God sustained them supernaturally. Again, the don't try this at home fast. 
One of the most well-known fasts we see in all of Scripture is Jesus' fast in Mark chapter 4 and also Luke chapter 4. Jesus fasts, he goes into the wilderness uh, before he starts his earthly ministry. We see in, in verse 1 and 2 of Matthew chapter 4, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. You see, we don't know if this is a normal fast where he did drink water or if it was an absolute fast where he didn't drink water and didn't eat any food. But regardless of whether it was absolute or normal, the focus of Jesus' fast was really about God preparing him for all that he would do in the days ahead. The start of his ministry, he needed complete dependence on God to sustain him in that moment and then in his obedience uh, in, in the days ahead. So see, Jesus modeled this for us. He doesn't command us to fast per se, but he doesn't say if you fast, he says when you fast. We see this in Matthew chapter six, verses 16, 17, and 18, where Jesus teaches about fasting. He says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces. Their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they who have received the reward but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. You see, this morning, our fasting um, may not necessarily look like fasting throughout scripture. It doesn't have to be ritualistic. It doesn't have to be to, to seek the favor of God. It might not have to be like anything that we saw in Scripture. But like Jesus said, when you fast, this is what you do. Fasting has less to do about what we give up and more to do with what God has given up through the person of Jesus. And I believe we see this clearly in Matthew chapter 9. So this is a passage that we're going to look at briefly this morning. Um, because we've been in so many different places, I haven't had you turn back and forth or flip through on your, on your phones. Usually we say that, and this is kind of one of, those, one of those mornings where it's like we're all over the place, so let's, let's figure out what God's trying to say to us. But Matthew chapter 9, 14, 15, 16, and 17 says this, then the disciples of John came to him saying, let me just stop there. John the Baptist, uh, his disciples were participating in fasts, the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the time were also participating in fast. And they come to Jesus and they say, hey, your disciples aren't fasting. What's the deal? It says, then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away the garment, and worse, a tear is made. Neither is a new wine put into old wineskins, for if the skins burst, the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, so that both are preserved. You see, it was confusing for John the Baptist and his disciples and the religious leaders. They're looking to Jesus, they're like, tell us how to do this thing. We fast throughout the Old Testament. Our heritage says that we're supposed to fast. Why are you guys not doing this? And Jesus answers with some beautiful imagery, as he always does. Jesus was the master of telling stories, but then embedding truth 
so that those who had ears to hear would understand. And what we see here, Jesus paints this picture of a wedding feast, a celebration, feasting, eating. You wouldn't, you wouldn't fast during a wedding feast. And Jesus gives this picture. And throughout scripture, we see Jesus as the bridegroom and we know the church as the bride. And what he's saying here is God has come in the flesh. And when the bridegroom is here, there's no need to fast because the celebration is happening. You see, he goes on to explain the, the patch that tears away from the garment and the old wineskins and the new wine. And I will say the, the last part of this text oftentimes in churches is used out of context. But it's ultimately where people take this text and they challenge the methodologies of how we do church and say, you know what, well, the, the old structures, there's new ways to do old things and all these different things. I, w- I want us to be careful to look at this text that way because Jesus is, is giving us this image to build off of his response about fasting. Here's what Jesus is saying. With the old wineskins and new wine, he's saying, we don't have to fast like that anymore. I have come. I am here. But there will be a time that I go away. I go to the cross that I will atone for your sins. And friends, this is the gospel this morning. We don't have to fast to please God. We don't have to physically do something to consecrate our hearts before God, to make ourselves holy. Why? Because Jesus has done that for us. We don't save ourselves. And what Jesus is saying is like when you fast in this way, you're coming to God on your own terms. That doesn't work. It's like putting, it's like putting new wine in an old wineskin. God has already intervened. He has delivered you from sin and death, the greatest deliverance that we would ever need. We don't need to fast to seek repentance and forgiveness. Forgiveness has already been granted to us in the person of Jesus. So we fast today as followers of Jesus because we've tasted what God has given to us. And through Jesus and his kingdom, nothing else on this earth will satisfy us. Friends, get that. We don't fast to be seen or to be approved by God. He's already approved us in Jesus. We fast because we hunger for him and there's nothing else in this world that can satisfy us. And when we fast, we anticipate this celebration of being with him forever. You see, this hunger after God, I believe is painted clearly um, by David in, in the Psalms, in Psalm 42 and in Psalm 63. Psalm 42, one through three says this, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, O God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My My tears have been the food of the day and night while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Psalm 63, one through three says this, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. You see here, these are passages where I think we can relate to because David is crying out in prayers, longing to be in the presence of God. And if you read on, it doesn't take but like one or two more chapters where David's like, 
how long will you remove your face from me? How long will my enemy triumph over me? It just almost seems like David is very polarizing here of saying like, like Brandon said last week, oftentimes we can live as functional atheists. We believe God in the moment and then we forget what he has done. So let me encourage you to go to texts like this when you fast, to hunger for God, to cry out to God, earnestly seeking God, that my soul thirsts for you. You see, I believe fasting refocuses our heart, temporary abstinence to create a deeper dependence and renewed hunger for Jesus. So what does all that mean for each and every one of us this morning? See, this series is really all about learning and understanding the spiritual discipline, but then giving you some practical steps on how you can implement these things in your life. So I believe today that there are eight practical tips that we can learn for fasting this morning. And as I have about seven minutes left, we're gonna hit these really quick. The first one is to be smart. Be smart. Some of us, that's really hard for us to be smart, all right? But before jumping into fasting, uh, seek guidance from a counselor or a, a pastor or a leader or a mentor. Do some of your own studies on fasting and understand like, all right, what is this gonna look like? What is God calling me to? Uh, have a better understanding of the purpose and the guidance behind it. Number two, consider how it will affect others. This is a good tip because uh, for many of us in here, if, if we choose to fast for an extended period of time, it doesn't just affect us. It affects other people that we live with. See, for me, it, these conversations with my wife and my kiddos are, are paramount because uh, I want their support in it. I want them to be aware that these, these times that dad possibly is going to be a little bit more grumpy. Um, but it, there, there needs to be some intentionality in uh, how it affects other people. See, my wife put some time into thinking through food planning and all of that, and if I'm just going to fast for the week, you know, that changes the game on how she prepares for our family of seven. Consider how it, um, consider how it affects your family rhythms. You see, in doing this, it's not a license to be unloving. Like, well, I'm fasting, so you guys just have to deal with it. Um, fasting is really about hungering after God and, and, and the posture of our hearts in those moments are really about love and care for others. So communicating this appropriately to your family is a good thing to do on the front end. Number three, make a plan and set a goal. Make a plan and set a goal. See, planning is essential when it comes to fasting. Uh, how long are you gonna fast? What are you gonna fast from? What are you fasting for? What is it that God has laid specifically on your heart that every time that you feel hungry is going to point you to a deeper dependence on Jesus. You see, I think it's also important to have a plan for when you fast. Like, what am I going to do? Like, well, okay, I gave up this meal. I'm hungry now. Like, what am I going to do? Have a plan. Have a passage of scripture that you're going to read. Have a prayer that you're going to pray. Maybe it's the Lord's Prayer. Maybe it's Psalm 42 or 63 that we just read. Have a plan and set a goal. The next uh, practical tip is to start small. You see, you can't train to run a marathon in one day. And just like fasting, you're not gonna, you're not gonna set out on a 40-day fasting journey starting tomorrow. You gotta start small. Maybe it's one meal or two meals. You gotta allow your mind and your body to adapt to this healthy approach of, of fasting. 
The next one is to consider fasting from other things rather than food. And I've said this a a few times during the message this morning, but ask yourself the question, what is it that consumes your time, your attention, your affections? What is the thing that you run to for comfort? You see, maybe it's those things that we ought to consider saying, you know what? I don't have a problem with food, but it's just like, man, I just can't put my phone down. I just can't put it down. Maybe it's social media, your TV, phone, sports radio. Think of all the things that you consume your time with and ask yourself, like, what is it that I need to give up? Maybe it's daily. You go to Starbucks and you're just like, I really could do without spending $6 for a a coffee this morning. Or maybe you're just binge-watching shows or you just have an addiction to Amazon and you have to buy something. I understand. I understand. Hopefully we're out of that season of Christmas and shopping and all that. But what are those things that we run to to numb ourselves, to comfort ourselves, to remind ourselves of like, okay, I just, I need to be distracted from the craziness. Consider fasting from those things rather than food. Number six, focus on Jesus. The whole intent, the whole purpose of a fast is so that we would depend on God, that we would hunger after God. During your times of of fasting, spend time in God's word and praying. And every time your stomach rumbles, it really is an invitation to cry out to God, God, I need you. I want you. I long for you. Number seven, consider how you communicate it to others. Just as important as letting your family or your spouse know, I think it's also important Consider on the front end how you're going to communicate this. Are you going to go through a fast with people in your community group? Uh, are, is somebody going to keep you accountable to this? Who are you going to tell? Maybe it's nobody. Maybe you're not going to tell anybody at all. But just as we remind ourselves of, of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, the key here is discreetness. To help us not to parade it around, to, to live as Pharisees of saying like, look what I'm doing, I'm fasting. Like, like if you have to post about it, it's probably not the right posture of fasting. Like, hashtag 40-day fast, I'm in day three. Here we go. And lastly, consider how you break your fast. Break your fast wisely. Um, In times that I've fasted, it's important to, to reintroduce food in a proper way. You know, things that are easily to digest, uh, a little bit of protein's good, but consider how you reintroduce food or, or things that you fasted from back into your, back into your diet. Um, so double cheeseburgers and quarter pounders are probably not the way to go, um, although they're really good sometimes. But equally important, when you're fasting from things like social media, TV, shopping, Starbucks, all these things that we talked about, if you don't have proper guardrails of saying like, hey, like I'm going to choose now to not consume this as much as I did, Right? What are those boundaries? What are those habits to reorienting your heart so that you don't fall back into the same rhythms? Consider how you break your fast. See, I believe these are eight practical tips. And in in closing this morning, when we fast, we're disconnecting from the current climate of our culture. And when we do that, we begin to join God in his heart. And we have deeper intimacy with him. What we're saying is we ultimately are are saying that, Jesus, you are the greater treasure, that you are better than anything that we have 
anything this world has to offer. So church, my encouragement to you is that you can do this. You can do this. You don't have to be the religious elite. Uh, God wants to use this in your, in your walk with him as a discipline so that you can depend on him more. So consider that today. I'm gonna ask you a couple questions as we close and I'll pray. What is God saying to you and what are you gonna do about it? I think it's important for us to all you know, evaluate what God is saying to us in these moments of saying, how do I walk in deeper dependence with Jesus? Let me pray and close our time this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that even in this series, God, the, the, the desire and the posture of what you desire for us to understand, to walk in obedience, to live a life on mission. Father, we thank you for these, these tools and these resources. Father, we thank you for these, these examples throughout Scripture. Father, we ask today that you would just continue to allow us to depend on you greater, to run hard and fast after you. Father, we are bombarded with so many things in this world, and I just pray that you'll help us to step away from that, to focus on you, to fix our eyes on you, Jesus. Father, we love you. We thank you again for this time as we continue to worship. Would you just be glorified and honored in all that we say and do? Father, if there's somebody here this morning too that just, just you're stirring in their heart steps of faith and obedience, I pray that they'll just come talk to somebody, whether it's a pastor or somebody that they came with this morning. They would stop at one of the red tables in the back and just have somebody pray with them this morning, Father. Father, I'm grateful for this series for, for your word and for you, Jesus, for all that you've called us to. Father, help us to depend on you and hunger after you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at nchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces making much of Jesus every day to everyone.